Our sermon passage this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 12 with our membership class coming up this week and we're going to take a one week detour to talk about at least one aspect of what makes a church a church through Hebrews 12. So here the word of the Lord verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of of Abel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, which is a light to our feet. You guide us, you lead us into righteousness. We pray that you would do that this morning, encourage our hearts, strengthen us for the road that's before us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You know, one of the things that makes, you know, fantasy movies, Disney movies so captivating for us, at least for me, is that they transport you to another world, right? You're still sitting on a couch, you're still eating, you know, buttered popcorn. At least you better be eating buttered popcorn. It's not a movie night. You're still sitting in your living room, and, and yet you're transported to somewhere foreign. Right? In that hour and a half, there's this moment where anything is possible, where, where carpets can fly and kisses can bring people back from the dead. This is why we, we love it, Right? We love being transported into this world where anything is possible. You know, our everyday life, the, the, the mundane, the, the rhythms, they get boring. We get tired of them, but in that hour and a half moment, anything can happen. What's amazing is, is anything does happen in that moment, and we love it. Even if it's just for a moment, there's this trans- transcendence that happens, and we're taken from our normal lives. Now, What if I told you that that transcendent moment that happens when you watch a movie is just a pale reflection of actually what happens each week when we worship together in community? But rather than being transported off to a faraway place, it's actually the other way around where a mystical place is actually coming down to us. You're still sitting on uncomfortable pews. We're still sitting in an old building But we're also in another land in a very real way right now. Another place has actually descended on us this morning. In a very real way, another country has invaded. Heaven has literally come down to earth. 
This happens when we worship. I think we have a hard time believing this, this truth, though, because it's not something that we can see. You can't touch it. I can't point to angels flying around in the room, right? It's not something you can touch. It's not something you can see. And for many of us, it's not even something that we feel when we gather, right? But often when we gather and we do this weekly liturgy, this rhythm, it can feel dry to us. It can feel stale. It can feel boring. And we don't feel anything. And so we can mistakenly think that nothing has happened when we gather because our senses are left wanting. But one of the beautiful things about the the book of Hebrews in general, but this passage in Hebrews 12 that I've thought about often in my life is, is that it's teaching us about the community of God and corporate worship. And one of the things it's teaching us is that there is something happening in the unseen world that is actually more real than the pews that you're sitting in. It's more lasting than this hundred year old building than we're sitting in. When we worship, the eternal descends onto us. And I think what we're gonna find here is this amazing truth that because Christ is actually leading us into worship, into the presence of the Father, our worship happens in the unfiltered presence of God. Every time we gather and we do this thing together, heaven has come to earth. And we are in heaven right now. And as we you know, think about our next membership class this week, for those that are members or belong to this church, as we think about what does it mean to be a church, I think one of the first things it means to be a church is to belong to a worshiping body. And so that's kind of the idea that we're gonna explore this morning. And there's three aspects to our corporate worship that that are happening each week because we're gathering in the very presence of God. The the first is, the the, the three things are these, that worship happens in heavenly places, worship joins us with heavenly beings, and worship fills us with heavenly joy. So first thing we learn about worship is that worship happens in heavenly places. If you look with me back here at verse 22, right in the middle of this passage, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem. Three very distinct places that he's talking about here. Mount Zion, the city of the living God and New Jerusalem. You know, the the worship of God's people was formerly this place you could touch and see. You know, the first half of this passage is is talking, pointing back to Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai moment, which is a quintessential picture of, of worshiping around God and what happens to be in God's presence. But now, everything has changed for us. You're no longer barred from this holy of holies. There's no longer this mountain that's forbidden to to touch in fear of death. But you can actually enter fully into the presence of God without fear of of dying because because of Jesus. Because he's the one that goes before us. And in that, there's nothing that separates us from the Father. Jesus is now actually leading you into the unfiltered presence of God. How can this be? Because the place that God lives is descending on his people every time when we gather to worship. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, Zion is talked about often as being this place where God dwells. One instance of this is Psalm 50. It says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. There's this idea that out of Zion, God actually shines forth. See, he is there. It's, 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 he's shining. His light shines out of this 
place, from the very presence of God. And here, that place is connected to this new Jerusalem, which, you know, we know about new Jerusalem. And Revelation is this place that comes down in, onto earth and ushers in this new age when Jesus is here as king and rules over all creation and all things are made new. And what we're learning here is that our corporate gathered worship, in this moment, heaven descends upon us. The very real presence of God is here. It's unveiled. By the power of the Spirit, something mystical has happened, and we are getting a taste of that new Jerusalem moment, that end-time moment where all things are made new. It's this beautiful thing. Heaven is here right now. So when we worship God, when we come and we do this every week, we are in a very real way no longer merely on the corner of 2nd and Lincoln, but we're in heaven. The veil is thin. This is true actually every time we gather to worship. I can say this with confidence because it's not dependent upon you or I. It's, it's not, we can't conjure up the presence. It's not about having the formula just right to get him to come and to show up for us. Uh, we don't even come to serve him in this, but he's actually the one that's coming down to serve us. We're the ones that need to be served. It's not dependent at all on our feelings in the moment either. It, it's not dependent on whether the music you like it or you hate it. It doesn't matter even if you like or hate my preaching. What matters is that the people are gathered around God's word, sacrament, and prayer. And in that moment, heaven descends and we're fed around his table in his very real presence. Literally, it is here now. Worship happens in heavenly places. And with that, the second aspect of this worship is that all that is with heaven comes near when heaven comes. So worship happens, secondly, among heavenly beings. Worship happens among heavenly beings. And there's, there's three aspects of this that we're going to find here. The first is, again, in verse 22, uh, it's, it talks about into innumerable angels. You've come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's happening here Right now, you know, festal gathering is this word that points to worship and it's festive. It's not ordinary. It's a feast day when we gather. It's a cause for celebration when we gather. And since it happens in heaven on earth, all that is in heaven comes with it. Right? It's not just the Father that's here with us, but innumerable angels, it tells us. Angels without number are in this room right now, here joining our voices, joining our choruses, joining our praise, bringing our voices to the Father. It's this beautiful picture of what's happening right here, right now. And you, know, you see, you start looking around, it's like, maybe I could see the light flicker and I can see a glimpse of angels. You know, we can't see them, but they're here. And also he goes on, not just this innumerable angels that are here with us, but this assembly. It says, uh, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's also who we've come to. So this giant run-on sentence for us here. We've also come to the assembly. You know, the word for assembly here in Greek is ecclesia. And it's a word that maybe you've heard. It's a word that's often translated for us as church. Most often when that word is used, in the New Testament, it's translated as, as church. So that the idea is we are the assembly of the firstborn. We are the church of the firstborn. And what makes a church a church was that we assemble, right? You can't be a church of one person. To be a church assumes that you're an assembling people. You know, when Jesus charges Peter, Peter, build my church, he's saying, build the assembly. 
gather people. I mean, that, that's the goal of church planting is to grow assemblies, to grow groups of people that gather together and worship God. And what sets this assembly apart is twofold. It's not just an ordinary assembly. It's not a school assembly. Uh, it's assembly of the firstborn. And uh, I'm going to talk about this more in a moment, but, but the first aspect of this assembly of the firstborn is that he's the one that's gathering us. He's the one that's leading us. He's the one that's making all of this possible. So he's, he's the point. He's the end goal. He's the one that's gathering us. The second thing about this assembly that's set apart is that it says all who are enrolled in heaven are here. The implication of this is profound. Because heaven is breaking into earth right now in this moment, time and space are at this standstill. And in a mystical, mysterious way, all the past, present, and future church are joined together right now in this moment of worship. So the church in Malaysia, the underground church in China, Christians in, in Russia and Brazil, all together, together in this moment with us right now. This is what we come to when we assemble. Right? We, we come to something that has been happening since the foundation of the church. It's humbling to think about for us, and it's not just this global thing where the whole church that's alive right now is gathered together, but I believe it transcends the boundaries of time. In very real ways, the church that has gone before and the church that's going to come after us is actually part of this assembly. All who are enrolled in heaven, all who have their name written in the book of life, which we know was given to us before the foundation of the world, so the entire church is gathered together with us when we worship. What this means is you know, from Augustine to Christostom to, to, to Calvin to our grandchildren who haven't even been born yet. All who have been born again in the firstborn, in Christ, are here with us this morning, joining our voices. All the saints in heaven, all the holy ones that are gathered around the throne. This assembled gathering is made possible by the firstborn, the one who makes this assembly possible. What a profound image. There's nothing dry or stale about the way that Hebrews is depicting what happens when we gather. Something bigger than us is happening. And that thing that's bigger is, is the firstborn is here. Verse 23, going back to it, it says the assembly of the firstborn. You know, you're not the assembly of Craig. This is not the assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. This isn't the assembly of the church even in Yakima, but it's the assembly of Christ who is the firstborn, who is the judge of all, who makes us and perfects us in himself. He makes the festal gathering possible because of his victory over death. And in this, he's bringing us about into this new covenant, and he brings us into the very presence of God. Jesus is our leader into this space. It's not me, it's not David, it's not any human that gets put in front of you in this church, but it's Christ himself. And by the power of his spirit, he works in mysterious ways, that can't be tested, you can't test it, you can't throw like pixie dust in the air and then let's say, oh yeah, see the angel. You know, you can't test it. I can't prove to you that this is true in a lab. And the reason for this is because labs are temporary. Pixie dust, if it was real, it would be temporary. But the assembly that's being talked about here is eternal. It's forever. It has no end. And all who are enthroned in heaven are there with us. This assembly is forever. It's, it's a transcendent plane that is worship. All these voices raised together. 
All those who are enrolled in heaven, all the citizens of heaven are here with us now. All those who are being perfected in Christ. What a beautiful encouragement. Could you imagine being a church huddled together and there's like three people and you think to yourself, man, does this make a difference? Right? Maybe you even think about this. We've got a smaller church, although we're average in America. We're, it feels small, you know. You say, why couldn't we be a bigger church? Well, even if we never grew past the number that we have, even if we shrunk to two or three people, what I'm saying would still be true of us. Innumerable angels would be with us. The church past, present, future would still be gathered with us. I mean, if that doesn't get us excited about coming to worship God, I don't know what will. And this is an eternal thing that Christ is leading us into. Heaven is breaking into earth when God's people gather and worship in his name. And all the hosts of heaven join in. Because of this amazing truth, we can't be helped but filled with a heavenly joy. And this is what worship does. it's, It's meant to fill us with the heavenly joy. Sure, does it convict us of sin? Absolutely. Does it drive us to the cross? Absolutely. But we don't grovel from the beginning to the end. We're actually filled with the joy that comes when we follow Christ. Heaven descending is not to cause us to fear anymore. Heaven descending is actually now transformed into this heavenly festive activity. It's innately joyful and it's eternally joyful. You know, we haven't come to a funeral this morning. We've actually come to a resurrection feast, right? That the funeral has been overturned by the power of Christ. You know, that the image being planted here in Hebrews about all that is made new in Christ isn't just pointing to something that, that is new, but there's something that is far better. You know, it's this word that you find often throughout the book of Hebrews, and one day we'll see it when we go through it together. But the word better is often used throughout. Something better is happening in Jesus because it's everlasting. God's people are to be marked by a heavenly joy, and it's joyful because you can finally rest. Christ has finished his work. He has finally come, and he has come to encourage and strengthen us. You know, our everyday lives, we get exhausted, right? We, we wake up, we try to do the right things, whatever that is for us in the moment, and we try to love our families, but our, you know, our tempers grow short. We, we say the wrong things. We try to train our children, but we don't always know how to answer their questions or help them in their moments. We try to be content with what God's given us in life, with singleness, with wealth, but we aren't. We want things that we don't have. And what makes our gathered worship joyful is that in this moment, it transcends all these things. It's this festive moment that is breaking through where we're called to get caught up into a song that's been sung since before the beginning of time. It's a song that we get to add our voices to the chorus of angels. All things are made new in this moment. And this is restful because in it we taste that future day when we will experience no longing that isn't met in Christ. What a profound meditation just in that. That one day... Every longing that we have will be met and found and perfected in Christ. We will have no longing that we don't have in eternity. And we get to taste that in this moment when we taste Christ. And this is what worship does. It strengthens us in this truth. It fills us with a future hope and creates a people filled with joy. And we can be filled with joy, with a lasting joy, because that joy doesn't come from us, but it comes from the outside. It comes from Christ and his own work. We're joyful because of the work that he's done on our behalf. You, you can't solve world's, the world's problems. You can't even solve your own problems. But Jesus came to do this work for you. So rest. Come enjoy heaven. This is why we sing 
boldly. This is why in a world that is content to burn itself down, we still gather, we still sing, unthwarted by what's happening. Because we have a hope and a prayer that's bigger. Because our hope is so much greater than anything that the world can offer because what we have in Jesus is lasting. You know, Mount Sinai was good. The temple worship that happened in the Old Testament was good, but it was temporary. And what, it, what his job was to point to this day that we have in Jesus. And what we have in Christ when we worship in Mount Zion is eternal. It's everlasting, and it says it here. It speaks a better word. This is what we find here at the end. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, the, the latent question in our minds, you know, as we're thinking about this crazy thing that I'm talking about, is how, right? How, how possibly could this be true? Because Christ is better. His blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, which is a kind of a weird comparison. Uh, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, Abel is the first recorded you know, human murder in the Bible, murdered by his brother. And in Genesis 4, you know, God's looking for him and says that the blood, that the blood of Abel cried out to God. It's crying out to be avenged. It's crying out for justice. My blood is in the ground. I'm dead. Avenge me. And the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than vengeance. It's better because the blood of Christ both calls out to forgive your sins. Right? If even if Cain was killed in an act of justice, Abel would still be dead. The power of, of Abel's blood is limited, but Christ's blood has no limits. And now not only speaks to the death of Jesus, that justice was served as he dies in our place, but it speaks to the abundant life that's found in Jesus. As he raises you from the dead, his, as his blood raises Abel from the dead, his blood is better. It's both just and forgiving. It condemns and raises to new life all that is imperishable. This is what's happening when we worship. Jesus is here, raising us to new life, strengthening us, filling us with a joy that is not our own, strengthening us with a strength that's not our own. This is why we need this every week, because when we go out of these doors, what do we do? We forget it pretty quickly. Start bickering with siblings, not, not in my house, but I'm sure in your house, your you know, kids bicker, or wives, husbands and wives start disagreeing with you. I want to take a nap. No, I want to take a nap, or whatever happens in your house on a Sunday afternoon. So it doesn't take long for us to forget these miraculous truths. This is why we do this every week, to remember. And not just to remember, to actually actively participate in these rhythms of heaven on earth, these heavenly rhythms. This is one of the primary things it means for us to be a church. It's no small matter to say that these, are the, that these people that are gathered with each week are my people, that I'm committed to these people, that these are the people that I get to enter into heaven with each week. These are the people who I dine with at this table each week. These are the people that I experience that new covenant that's found in Christ with, being perfected together. And although we enter this room as strangers, in a miraculous way, we leave as brothers and sisters, united around God's table. You know, when Christ feeds us, we are family joined together through our great head, our great high priest who is Christ. This is one of the, the reasons why we love having our children join us each week in all their noises and interruptions. Because imagine sending your child away from the place where heaven resides on earth. 
This is why we take communion each week. Imagine a festive gathering without food. Imagine going to a wedding and being sent home hungry. Don't do that to your guests. This is why we take membership vows. Imagine being part of a marriage where someone could leave at the hint of any offense. This is why we gather in person. You can't do this work over a screen. In worship, we are shaped, we are formed, and we are transformed into the image of the firstborn who goes before us, whose blood is sprinkled on us. And our hopes are shaped by heaven, and we're filled with a heavenly joy. And from this moment, we're strengthened. And then we're actually sent out into the world as heaven on earth people, as citizens, literally of this other kingdom, as lights pointing to this profound truth. And when we talk to people, we can say the new has come. Heaven has actually come on earth now. Come, taste, and see, join in this thing as we're being perfected in Christ. May we be a community that believes this amazing truth. May it transform even our expectations as we gather to feel like, hey, I need to be there because heaven is coming to earth. I need to meet with God because God is actually really there with those people. May it transform our expectations and may it embolden our voice to shine as lights in the darkness. And may we be at at rest in, in Christ who goes before us and leads us to the Father by the power of his spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven. We give you thanks for this amazing truth that we will never fully comprehend, but it's true nonetheless. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. Give us greater expectations of this moment of worship than we have, knowing that you are the one that comes and feeds your people, strengthening us, encouraging us for the work that you have set before us. We give you thanks for this church community, for the assembly that you've given us to grow up into. May we continue to grow and be formed in the image of your great son. In the name of your great son, we pray. Amen.